This is Van Culler with your host, hailing from the North Shore. He's a basic bro with degrees from universities. He works on the radio, don't you know? And he's keeping Vancouver colorful, full of bold boldness. Hashtag Mo for Mayor. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is Mo Amir. This is Van Culler. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This Is Van Color, I'm joined by a returning guest, one of my favorite people in the city, self-described good times gal. You know her from Jack FM and Seafox here in Vancouver, Cruise FM and Global News in Saskatoon, if we're reaching anyone out in Saskatchewan. And she has her own podcast, The Karis Report, which is a lovely listen if you haven't checked it out. All the way back from episode 47, a banger of an episode, by the way, if you haven't listened to it, it is a good time. And that's why she's back. She is, of course, my friend. She is Karis Hogg. Karis, how are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm so glad to be back. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. It's fantastic. I am honored that you would come back. After that experience, I feel like we had a good time. (laughs) Yeah, we did. I listened to just the start of it again. And just like last time, I'm actually relieved to see you. I mean, in a physically distant manner this time. Last time we were in like a phone booth. This time, a lot more space. Yeah, I think last time our feet actually almost touched. But we do. It was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's fine with me. Like, I have no issues with being close. Um, But yes, this we have more space this time, which is necessary. Yeah, it's funny. I was listening back to it, and I hated my voice then. I I feel like I was still holding back. I hadn't found my authentic stride yet. That happens in this whole process. That's the word I'm looking for. Your voice evolves into your real voice. Yes, (laughs) it does. (laughs) Yeah. What was funny about the last episode, and I remembered it as I was listening, of course, at that time, the podcast had got a lot of news coverage, and it was the first time that it ever happened. Of course, it happens, you know, on the reg now, no big deal. But at that time, I was just kind of exhausted by by that. And I just wanted to chill out and have an insightful chat, some fun. And I'm sort of in the same space right now. Good. So I feel like we've recircled back for this sequel in the same emotional capacity almost. You know what I mean? I love it. I'm here for this. But we do have to clear up one thing. Okay. I apologize from taking away from this episode, but it is important that we clear this up. All right. (laughs) So for the listener and probably some family members, I'm not running for the mayor of Vancouver. (laughs) I've never lived in Vancouver. (sighs) That was satire on the radio, if you heard that. Yep. And I felt like it was so obviously me taking the piss out of political speak and specific politicians, I think. But there was a good amount of people coming up to me, and or I shouldn't say coming up to me, they were messaging me or tweeting at me or texting me, and they're just like, oh my God, you're you're running for mayor. <laughs> well, it happened to me because I listened to your announcement and I thought, <laughs> okay, well, he he's not serious, is he? But at the same time, I feel like you could run for mayor. So I felt like I had to With that check. announcement? <laughs> well, 
I don't know. You know, maybe you're just going for a different angle. <laughs> maybe you're bringing humor into the whole situation. I'm. I don't know. But it was. You're right. In retrospect, kind of obvious that it was a joke. But I. I felt like I had to just check to make sure. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> and I guess for you, and then for the listener, if it's ever a choice between. Is he running for office or is he making fun of old dudes? Default to the latter. I'm making fun of old dudes. Okay. Check, check. <laughs> and that does make a lot of sense. That's my bread and butter. Come yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, thank you for indulging me with that. I just had to get that out of the way. Of course, we are still in a pandemic and it's kind of mixed at this point, right? Like we are hopeful people are getting vaccinated. But at least here in BC at the moment, cases keep rising and they talk about exponential growth and how it's going to get even worse. One thing I've been thinking about a lot is how history is going to look back at this time period. Do you think we're living in one of those historical times that will be read about in books and there's going to be documentaries made and kids will come up to us when we're really old and they'll be like, what was it like living in the pandemic? Yeah, I think I for sure it will. It'll be interesting to see what time does for our perspective on mm. this time. You know, now that we're in it right now, you sort of think fast forward 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 and beyond years. What, yeah, what will we look back on and feel like changed or what did we learn um, and I think because of that, I have been driven to consume information about another massive world event that happened in the last century, and mm. that is World War II. Oh, so this has caused you to reflect on that. Yes. Okay. And I was have I was on a Zoom call with some friends not that long ago, and they're saying, you know. <laughs> you know, what are you guys watching to cheer up? You know, like, I'm this comedy special is pretty good. This stand-up's pretty good. Oh, yeah, this series, you know. And I'm like, I'm watching documentaries on the Holocaust. <laughs> and Ooh. yeah, and they're like, I thought that... you were a good times gal. Exactly, I know. <laughs> and that is certainly not happy viewing by any stretch. I mean, it is. But I, I think I think I've been drawn to it just for, for that perspective. Mm. You know, it, it involved... So much of the world um, in just, I mean, in an amazingly catastrophic way. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a year, a year into this pandemic and we're all tired of it. And, you know, I'm sure a year into World War II, everyone was tired of it. Yeah. You know, everyone was like, especially people who had been persecuted by the Nazis, you know, for years yeah. leading up to World War II, they were definitely definitely ready for this to be over. And of course they had, you know, another four or five years left. And so I, I found that a very interesting perspective, you know, sort mm -hmm. of, and, and if people can live through the Holocaust, if people can live through Nazi occupation, I can live through this, right? you know, I mean, it's mind, it's just blue. It blows my mind when I learn about all of it. Yeah. I think even on the other side, like, even if you weren't in those areas of war and persecution, like if you were in North America where there wasn't any real war on our shores, right? Yeah. It's still every day was the world war. Yeah. And, you know, young men are going out and do they come back? And there's that anxiety. And, and, and your whole world changed here, right? Because yeah. you couldn't do the, you know, you couldn't do certain things because of the war effort, right? I mean, right. everybody's life had to change, yeah. whether it was friends or relatives dying, 
or or the way you lived your life and and you know the the news yeah was super heavy and horrible all yeah. of the time and i think it's an interesting parallel and i i i mean you're right in the sense that obviously one is so much more catastrophic for the whole world and we're talking about persecution and that kind of thing but a parallel just in the sense like for this period of time the whole world or most of the world has really changed and we're going about our everyday lives and suddenly it's different, right? And you lose things. And I'm not just talking about death or perhaps some people and their health. You kind of lose your lifestyle that you might have taken for granted. Yes. <laughs> right? Things that you t took for granted that are gone in, in terms of that social mm -hmm. connection, um, which, you know, for some people is sort of a matter of survival and for mm -hmm. other people, it's a matter of, you know, who, who do you lean on? You know, I mean, the, the thing, one of the things you lose your community, like you, you can't be, you can't support each other. Yeah. And could you imagine if we didn't have like high speed internet where we could zoom or text or just stay yes. in touch like if we were even more isolated that way that's exactly it and and i think that's also a difference sort of that i'm comparing to all the world war ii stuff mm -hmm. is how more connected we are across the world than people were back then yeah you know people lived on their little in their little town in their country in relative isolation mm -hmm. without information about other countries what were other people doing from different walks of life and how did they live their lives and what challenges were they facing and what struggles did they have yeah and and now we have all that information. Do you think that almost makes us feel more lonely or depressed? Because we're like sort of connected. But not. But not. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're almost, it, oh, we can almost <laughs> do it. And even though Zoom is a wonderful tool, also I'd be happy to never Zoom again yes. on one hand, right? Yeah. Like I don't want to hang out with you on Zoom anymore. <laughs> I want to be in a space with you and hug you. like. Oh, yeah. So it's it's wonderful on one hand that we have all of that. Um, but also it does seem like it'll be a huge relief when we don't have only that. How are your kids dealing with it? You have two boys. And I was just thinking about how so many kids have lost, I guess, two years or going on two years now. And you think about like the kids that would have graduated high school. So they lost all the pomp and fun and, you know, it's a nice rite of passage to, to have that ceremony and, and everything involved with it. But then I think about kids that are even younger and maybe they don't miss out on ceremonies or stuff like that, but they're still missing out on birthday parties. They're still missing out on sports. They're missing out on all these other things that are so fundamental to childhood. So how are your boys dealing with it? They're Actually, I think they're doing pretty well, yeah. all things considered. You know, you sort of think, well, they have food on the table and we're still capable of caring for them. Um, and and we have ways of, you know, being outside in nature. That mm -hmm. has been a huge save for us as a family. Yeah. It makes us feel really good. Um, and the other thing is my kids have, uh, they have become online gamers. <laughs> this pandemic has taught my children how to online game. There's money in that. Yeah. Oh yeah. There can be. Yes, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually, honestly, at this point, I think if 
you know, any one of my kids, if either of my kids want to seek some kind of professional, you know, uh, excellence in that way, in that mm-hmm. competitive realm, I would, I think I would prefer them to do gaming, you know, just because then they don't get as many concussions. Right. Nothing, nothing against real sports. Cause I think real sports are awesome sure. and, and they play real sports, but you know, it's, it's kind of hilarious watching them do it and they love it so much. And you think, I mean, they also love being outside. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. They don't sit in front of a and TV all day. there's still a, but... a very social element to online gaming or gaming in general. Well, right? and that's the interesting thing to see through them doing it. You know, I mean, they connect with friends mm-hmm. online. You know, we can set up, we can set up a laptop with a Zoom and then they can play with a friend. They can play among us if they have an iPad or if you have uh, an, an, a, like a, gaming system you can play Fortnite online with friends or whatever right? it may yeah. be and so it's it is a way just another electronic way to make connections with people my girlfriend has a son and he's nine and i remember during spring break he actually was a little depressed because he couldn't see his friends yep and i think i mean that's the weird paradox right like he can go to school <laughs> yes i know and he can see everyone and his classmates yeah but then spring break hits and i think it was getting to him that he couldn't see those same people I yeah, mean, and, for he, sure. and he would like do some of that online gaming stuff but i think the actual play the in-person play or just being yeah. with a group. Yeah. And it, it and it comes and I feel like it comes in ebbs and flows. For my kids, they have harder times with it than others. Yeah. You know, just like for me, for everyone, yeah. you know, like it's the same thing. You kind of for me and my husband Danny, it's like, you know, we go through weeks where we're just like, oh, I'm so depressed. And then you go <laughs> yeah. through a couple of weeks where you're like, okay, I think we're doing okay. Yeah. And it, yeah, it just kind of comes and goes. I just wonder what kind of imprint will this leave on younger children? Younger, I would say like ones that can probably remember it. So let's say, or maybe even younger, but let's say four to 13. That And that's where my kids are at. They're, yeah. ni- they're nine and seven. Because that's very, those are very formative years, right? You're kind of a sponge and you're taking in all this information and that's where you develop a lot of behavior patterns and stuff like that. So what does that what does this mean for them? I And that's a really good question. And I've thought that too, because they, you know, they're old enough to remember this happening. And actually, I think it was my older guy, Oscar, he said to me once, he said, well, you know, what are, what is this going to be like in the future? Like what? It, and I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll be very curious to see what it, how we all look back on this, but then also for them specifically, once they become adults and they reflect back on this time in their childhood, what will they think of it? I wonder if it's going to be a generation where when any crisis happens, they're just going to be like, shut everything down. <laughs> we've seen it. We've seen what happens when you don't shut things down. It just gets worse and it drags on. Just shut it all down. Shut her down. Right? Because that's been the one thing that we've really resisted in BC is like a full, full on lockdown. Yes. We've tried to keep things as open as possible or accommodate or adopt new ways to doing things. And we've seen the countries that were successful, right? They, they did have those very harsh shutdowns and now they're like back to normal. Yeah. If, if you can find a way to support everybody through a, a complete and utter mm-hmm. shutdown, like for real, yeah. then the virus can't, it can't, it's, you know, it has no way of doing anything anymore. Yeah. 
you've stopped its means of transmission and then we can try again. Yeah. But no, that has not happened here. (laughs) And that's why I'm just curious. I'm wondering how this will affect this generation's psyche. Because, you know, every generation or so will have different types of crises. And I think they have a cultural dialogue around those crises based on the environments that they grew up in. Yeah, that's exactly it. And how how is it forming young people? And it's, I mean, like with everybody, it's going to be very dependent on your situation, right? And there are some people who are struggling hugely in this pandemic and other people who are not struggling as much. And it just depends on what your situation is, I think. We still going to shake hands? Like after the pandemic? I don't know. I wondered that too. I'd be total. Can we do bowing or something or like, hi, like I don't know. I don't think we need to shake hands, do we? I mean, I, I, I don't. I never had a problem with it before, and I think if people want to go back to that again, I would. We can do without it. But I feel like we can do without it. Why can we have like some other kind of greeting? What does it add to your relationship with someone? No, it's just it's like a formal greeting, right? Yeah. But there's also the bow or like the wave or the yeah. peace sign. Like, hey, peace sign. <laughs> I'm not touching with, you, but I, I'm I say just do it without you. Hug your friends and family. Yeah. Why, why even shake hands with someone? I, 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 I Great don't eye know. contact, maybe more focused on that. Well, you know, with the masks. Yes. I feel like eye contact has been huge. Yeah. And a nod, like a, you <laughs> yeah. know, like a eye contact nod. <laughs> what about, get these shoulders back into it, right? More, more shrugs. <laughs> yeah i've done lots of body communication in the grocery store when nobody or if i'm wearing sunglasses and a mask you need to use your body to communicate you need to be like you know yeah do a shoulder shrug do a nod yeah do a little wave i wonder if we're yeah i I mean even for ourselves i just wonder when we go back to normal how much of this will stick with us? Like, are we going to get weird with shaking? Like if someone you don't really know sticks their hand out to to shake your hand, are, are we going to get weird with it? Or is it going to be okay if you just say, I'm not a handshaker? You know, like, I don't do that. Will okay, we expect cool. plexiglass to be everywhere? <laughs> yes. Will the plexiglass come down? Who are the plexiglass manufacturers? Because they're they're doing lots of business right now. Right. And, you know, are they expanding their businesses and then all of a sudden people don't need the plexiglass and then they're going to have to cut back? I don't know. I think in some places I wouldn't mind if it stays up. You know, grocery store, like the cashier. They yeah. are in contact with everyone. I think mm-hmm. that's just a general good health practice for their sake, that they're protected with plexiglass. Yeah. Does this mean that we would just get sick less in general? Could be. Well, that was the weird thing with influenza. We we had no influenza. I mean, not no, but almost no influenza because of all this stuff that we were doing, yeah. right? Still had COVID for some reason, which made yes. no sense. <laughs> but influenza was basically gone. <laughs> yeah. Which then makes you think like, well, hey, if we continue doing this kind of stuff, maybe we'd all be healthier. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how we also deal with masks. Like, are we going to keep them on when you go out in public or grocery shop or whatever? Or I it, like wearing it grocery shopping because you? I have Because start- you're famous and you don't get noticed anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> you're funny. No, because I like to talk to myself when I grocery shop. Oh. Yeah, it's really embarrassing, but I find myself um, 
like, you know, do we need cucumbers? I can't remember. Did I buy? Did mm. I get a cucumber? Oh no, I don't. We need cucumbers. Like, oh, what? Oh, why can't they? Why don't they have the cereal that I want? And I realized that I'm like talking to myself, but because of the mask, like it's, you know, I'm whisper talking, right? I'm not broadcasting it all over. So it means that I can have these really awkward whisper conversations with myself about meal planning and what I want to buy in the grocery store and nobody right. can see. So I sort of like it. Plus, right now, people are like, oh, she's going a little stir crazy. With yeah, COVID. exactly. <laughs> it's like I'm an extrovert <laughs> and I'm in this isolated situation. And so I just want to go to the grocery store and talk because it feels good. I've had the situation at the grocery store where someone I guess I knew was like, oh, hey, Mo, what's going on? And I guess – Obviously, I didn't know them that well, but they recognized me. And because of the mask, I yeah. just couldn't even you couldn't, put it together. You, you couldn't figure out who they couldn't were. Couldn't figure out. Yeah. Just played along. Yeah. <laughs> just. That happened to me in Home Depot <laughs> with a gal I went to high school with. Okay, yeah. And I, we were so proud of ourselves. We, we recognized each other. I haven't nice. seen her since high school. And she had a mask on and I had a mask on. Wow. And and we recognized, it's like, hey, I Hey, what's going on? <laughs> we have this conversation at Home Are Depot sure behind masks. Are you sure she did, or maybe was she? Was no, she no, along? no. She no, no. We we okay. talked enough. She knew. Okay. Yeah. No, that was <laughs> good call, Mo. She might have, but she wasn't. No, we talked enough that she couldn't have faked that. Yeah. So shopping aside, and I guess maybe more on the on the family stuff. I'm just curious, like as a mom, what pressures has the pandemic put on you? In your family life in particular? I think just the loss of community mm. and that support network of, you know, family friends getting together and having the kids be together and having the adults be together, seeing my family, getting mm -hmm. together with my family. Yeah. Uh, getting together with my husband's family. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I mean, th those are, that's our support network. And we haven't been able to be with them for so long now. Mm -hmm. And that's really where we get our, our comfort, our strength. You know, you have a bad week and you get together with friends and you, you know, share that. And you have a laugh and you have a beer. And the kids go run off and play together because, right. you know, they're tired of just playing with their sibling or, you know, or if they're only children, they don't have any siblings in the yeah. house, you know? So it, that kind of community and, and love and support has just been cut off. And although electronically, yes, it's wonderful that we can see each other and talk to each other. It's not the same. It's definitely not the it's same. It's definitely not. And I'm just reflecting on that myself. I think you're right. Like that extended family. I mean, I have extended family here. And yeah, I mean, I guess throughout the pandemic, we haven't seen each other. I see my dad. But that's a big loss. Yeah. Losing losing that in-person gathering. And then yeah. even just like when we had, and I don't even know where we're at right now, to be honest. We're basically not supposed to be seeing anyone, but... When we had that idea of like a bubble, like a safe six, and now you can see yeah. 10 people outside and all that stuff, there was a certain inclusivity that was missing in the sense that like, like, let's say I ran into you at the grocery store yeah. and we did recognize each other and I was going to a party and I'd be like, oh, hey, what are you doing later? Like, I'm going to this thing. Do you, you know, do you want to come? Yeah. Like, that 
element is gone. Totally. Because now you're not stuck, but you are committed to this group of your six or 10 or whatever it was or household. And so that inclusivity of just like being social or having those options to go anywhere. Are completely cut off. Yeah. And the other thing too, as a parent with younger children is the childcare issue. Right. And so, you know, we didn't have, we don't have people who are continuous caregivers who we could say bubble with and say, okay, this is, Mm -hmm. you know, we just sort of, you know, hey, friends, do you want to, how about, we'll take your kids for a bit. Yeah. And so you can have some time or, and then you'll take our kids for a bit, you know, or go and hang out with the grandparents. You know, my kids haven't hung out with their grandparents mm-hmm. in, a, you know, a year. Like, they, <laughs> it, that was a really great thing for them and for everybody, for us, for the kids, for the grandparents. Like, hey, go and hang out with grandma and grandpa and they'll feed you ice cream and do sort of lots of fun things and we'll have time to just sit here and do nothing. Yeah. It'll be great. And now it's like, you can't go over, at least at the time, you can't go over to grandma and grandpa's because you might kill them. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> they are particularly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I hope there is, I mean, sort of related to what you're talking about, but I hope there is an emphasis on child care in general and the need for like affordable child care because yes. if anything i feel like the pandemic has really highlighted it you would think like oh parents are working from home and it's like more than ever they need the kids yeah out of there <laughs> because believe me you cannot do all of that yeah <laughs> effectively it is just a mishmash of chaos right yes and so i hope that some of our priorities change I know someone got in trouble for, I think it was Christia Freeland. She got in trouble for saying like, oh, this is an opportunity. But I don't see the harm in saying like, oh, this pandemic has highlighted big gaps in our society. And now we have an opportunity to fill those gaps (laughs) with with things that actually help real people. Yes. Right? Yeah. And childcare, I feel like, is probably number one. I, I think both the feds and the province should be like, Treating it like education, like public education or public health. Yes, that's exactly it. And and you, I mean, when if you have reliable, quality, affordable childcare for everybody, I mean, that changes the game. Mm-hmm. That means that if you're a single parent, you don't have to worry about where your kids are going to be when you're out trying to earn money to put food on the table, mm-hmm. you know? And that means that uh, that women, because typically women are the ones who then stay home and don't have sure. the opportunity to uh, go to school, have a career. Um, it means that then they're part of the, you know, they get, the op- they get much more opportunity to do that. And that benefits everybody in the long run. Um, ch- childcare is huge. And I mean, there's like, there's lots of evidence to show that you invest front end invest in in people mm-hmm. you know or tons of money into structures to support youth children mm-hmm. families with young children babies yeah you know support them and they're all going to do better in the long run society yeah. will be better you know <laughs> Don't leave them in horrible situations for 10, 15, 20 years and then wonder why as adults they're having a really hard time, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, we could do that or like (laughs) 
<laughs> we could give money to huge corporations that are making money anyways. Right, and, right, right. you know, paying out dividends to their shareholders. Because sure. that's like such a better way to spend public money. <laughs> I'm sensing sarcasm, Mo. <laughs> oh, yeah. People are going to take that seriously. What? <laughs> what? I thought you fought for the little guy. <laughs> I feel like when these type of communal stresses, emergencies happen, we all begin to really judge our priorities. And like we're talking about childcare and rethinking like, oh, maybe this should be a pillar of our society. And I think we do this even when it's like a personal tragedy or personal stress. Like we take on grief if you lose someone. Certainly in, in times of extreme stress, we start rethinking like maybe our personal priorities. Do you think the pandemic has changed your perspective on anything? I think I feel like it's it's hard to feel like it's hard when if you don't have necessarily anything that's really hard. Does that make any sense? <laughs> Let's walk through that one. <laughs> uh, I I feel like uh, looking after each other. You know, we talk about we're all in this together, but mm-hmm. what does that really mean? Yeah, and and like you said about childcare or say paid sick leave. Yeah. You know, th- things like this, I think. Why weren't we talking about paid sick leave before? No, I'm serious. I'm not <laughs> yeah. even joking. Like someone sent me this big thing and they should, they were like, you should talk about this. And usually I don't take recommendations, but I was reading about paid sick leave and I was like, whoa, so many people in our communities don't get paid sick leave if they fall sick. Yeah. So when you think about perspective, okay, well, what really matters, you know, um, even though in this pandemic, I'm not having a terribly horrible time. Like I still, mm-hmm. I still have food. I still have clothing. I still have a home. Um, so in that respect, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. Um, but there are, it's, I, the pandemic has highlighted the fact that there are lots of people who are still struggling to find those things. Mm-hmm. And this really highlights it. And, and I think that we, we need to focus. Those are like, what, what's important here? What's, what's more important than that? And I hope I'm not optimistic on this, to be honest, but I hope there is a greater appreciation for the people that we consider quote unquote frontline workers, the people that keep our communities going. Yes, that's it. Like somebody's got to keep this thing churning and, you know, we got to get food and we got to have services and like stuff has to happen. And those are those frontline workers. Yeah. And they often get raw deal when it comes to compensation or working conditions or paid sick leave or like when the pandemic happened. We weren't like, oh my God, we need more lawyers. <laughs> no. We need more, we need so many more accountants right now. You know what I mean? And it's not to begrudge those positions. Those take a lot of education and are a lot of work and, and they are important. Of, and some of my good friends are actual lawyers and they're very lovely people. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not I'm not making fun of that profession or those people. I'm just saying like we've undervalued the the people that are actually keeping things going yes. in our society. Yes. And when we strip everything down and we need to go to, you know, bare necessities, 
we still need these people that are, I feel, are being undervalued. It's not to say that they should be paid, you know, million dollar salaries, but it's to say maybe they deserve some better working conditions or benefits. Or paid sick leave, that, <laughs> right. that type exactly. of thing. Yeah, exactly. So they can be in a better position to care for their families and yeah. they're not going to make each other sick. And and they can keep doing important work. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're they're important. Workers are important. <laughs> <laughs> they're very important. But it's taken a pandemic to highlight that. And again, that's where my pessimism is, where I, I really hope that we don't just forget about that. Agreed. <laughs> yes. And and I guess time will tell. Yeah. But I hopefully people will remember. Yeah. And I and I've talked about this a few times, but it always strikes me as really funny when people get mad at like teachers or nurses for, you know, demanding a 2% wage increase or, you know, a certain amount of benefits or whatever. And it's like, they're not millionaires. <laughs> yeah. My, hu- my husband's an elementary school teacher. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I... So why are we getting so mad at them for this very modest ask when they are the people that are keeping everything going? Exactly. <laughs> and when you talk about, I mean, invest in children and children's education and man, that pays dividends. Yeah. We'll see. I hope we don't have to do this again in two years and be like, oh, yeah, those workers. <laughs> remember remember how we were talking about that? <laughs> remember how they needed paid sick leave? Right. Oh, and how what a waste. <laughs> It's going to ruin everything if they get paid sick leave. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, you hear I those stories, not. right, of people that unfortunately contracted COVID or ended up spreading COVID because they couldn't take time off work. Yep. And they, yeah, that's exactly it. And if your salary is what's keeping the family going, mm-hmm. and if you and if you stopping earning that salary means that then – Okay, well, I I don't know what we're going to eat tonight. I I had to stay home from work cuz I had a sore throat yeah. and a fever. That you're being put in a really hard situation. I hope things change. I hope we look at those things differently. Things are going to change, Mo. <laughs> right? I can feel it. Or, or we'll just get distracted by being able to party again. I don't know. <laughs> that's my worry. All right. Well, let's hope that that's not the case. Hopefully we can uh, party and also make meaningful changes. Right. Do you foresee or are you optimistic about things going back to relative normalcy? Like, obviously, we're talking about, oh, you know, hopefully our perspectives change on things. But just in terms of the the way we interact or we can travel or get together for shows or social outings. Oh, shows. Oh, do you remember? We'd go see live music I in know. venues. I know. Packed in sweaty clubs. Oh, and, and spill beer on each other. <laughs> like, oh, God, what I wouldn't give to have beer spilled on my back right now. From some sweaty stranger. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think that's coming? Is that. Are we going to do that again? Yeah. Yes. Yes. We're going to do that again. Yes. If if World War II happened and people can somehow survive World War II and, and live again, we will find a way to live again. And hopefully we find a way to live again that's better. And that is the, and again, going back to that earlier point, I think that is the opportunity, quote unquote, right? We can look at all this stuff and be like, hey, you know, that that normal, some of it wasn't that great. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. Okay. How about this? We've talked about sort of how the culture is. How about humanity as a whole? Have you changed Ooh. your perspective 
on what you think of humanity. Oh, I still have faith in humanity. Okay. I do. And I, and I think that our online connection is doing that mm-hmm. for us. We have, through online connection, a way to learn about each other that's unprecedented. Mm-hmm. We can share who our true selves are and we can listen to what other people have to say about who who are you? What is your journey? Mm-hmm. You know, wh- what is the world like for you from your perspective? And I think this is a huge positive. Obviously, there are negatives mm-hmm. to all of those connections and hateful groups find ways of getting together and, you know, having a bigger voice and that's a problem. But over overall... I think uh, we have a chance to really be more compassionate. And if, if we're willing to listen and willing to hear other people's stories and be brave enough to share our own. Mm-hmm. So I, I think through all of this online stuff, we have the opportunity to learn from each other and become more compassionate. But then what do you say when you see things like hate crimes going up? Yeah, I know. That's the downside. You know, know. the shitty people that try to skip the queue for vaccine and they go out of their way to lie or cheat the system. Well, I think those people are thankfully in in the minority. You know, I don't think there are lots of people who are lying and cheating in that way. (laughs) True. True. That could be grounded in that fact, I think. Yeah. Um, and yes, obviously hate, hate is out there. (laughs) It always has been. Mm -hmm. Um, the conspiracy nuts, you know, there is a sizable portion of the population that doesn't think this is real. And I don't know, like, doesn't that kind of chip at your your faith in humanity? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, well, yeah, obviously, when you read, you know, there are plenty of opportunities to look through Twitter and get depressed. Like, whew, you know. But forget Twitter. I mean, it's, it's uh, on our streets. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But I, th- I think that the more we talk about this stuff and the more hopefully respectful discourse we can have about everything. Mm-hmm the better off we'll be in the long run because right now there's, you know, there's, I think people need to learn how to do that better. Yeah. But as you know, social media is a fairly new thing. Mm. We're, we're all just trying it out. (laughs) We're all just, we're all just fucking it up. (laughs) (laughs) To a certain extent, (laughs) but the more we do it, uh, and the more respectful we take responsibility, you know, if we take responsibilities for ourselves to be respectful online and with each other and in discussions, then eventually more people will hopefully catch on to that idea. Mm-hmm. And then that will grow the idea of respectful discourse, mm-hmm. whether it's in person or online acknowledging the fact that we all come from different places and we all have different journeys yeah, and we are different people with different perspectives and 
we need to be able to share those and talk about those to try and find a way forward. Not yeah. name call and demonize. Why are you tone fingers. policing me on Twitter right now? <laughs> and again, I don't do that to everyone. I do that to people who have power. And frankly, people who I think deserve it. Yes. And I, that, this was not meant to be a criticism for you at all. No, no, I took it that way. But I, <laughs> I, I know what your intent is. Because I know what you mean. Yes, calling people out for for things is, you know, that's an important thing to do, obviously. And there's shades of it, right? Like, yeah. I think there's, there's a difference between a very biting critique of a politician or someone in power or a rich person or whatever versus death threats. Like th- that yeah. is, you know, death threats is unacceptable in any circumstance. Yeah. Or, you know, really, let's just call it violent language. Like, of, of course, never acceptable. But I would also say, like, the critique of a public figure, you can get away with more than just, like, the a random person. You know what I mean? Like a, a public, sure, a public elected figure? Yeah, for the most part. And that's also where you get into... That's where I also think there's nuance, right? Like, what are you criticizing them about? Yes. If you're criticizing them about their ideas or their actions, fair play. But if you're, you know, don't criticize them on their looks or their... Exactly. (laughs) Or things that they can't control or intrinsic qualities about them, right? So, yeah, and 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 I'm not trying to take away from your larger point because I think it's correct. I just, I find that idea of like, we all need to be more respectful, a little triggering in the political realm. Because I feel like that's how people who should be criticized deflect from criticism. You know what I mean? Well, oh yeah, for sure. And to be clear, I don't think respect and criticism are, you know, they're they're not exclusive. Like you can be respectfully critical. Like absolutely. I mean, there are ways that you can tell someone to fuck off without saying those words. Can you say those words? Well, you you mean publicly? I don't to, know. To someone, you know, like how do you mean? I think there, I think it all depends on context. Y- yes, <laughs> I think so. But I, I guess if you know, yeah, if you're walking down the street and somebody says something horrible to you, yeah, I, you know, can you say fuck you to that person? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. If someone says something horrible, yeah, fuck you. Like, so it's like, yeah, we, we, I mean, we are promoting respectful dialogue, but also we have to understand that there are spaces where maybe it's not as respectful or it's a lot more critical, I would say. Yeah. And also I think, you know, again, given, given your experience and given what your, what your journey is, you know, obviously, I think it depends on who you are and where you're coming from and mm-hmm. who you're challenging as to how you're doing it and mm-hmm. and how and how public is it and and how, you know, and how do you who do you want to reach? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I think and, and I think the frustration, you know, people get angry because they feel like they haven't been listened to. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's where a lot of the the comes from it's because like i've been saying this for years <laughs> and nobody listens yeah and so I get if it. we start that frustration right so yeah. if, if we actually listen and believe people when they say i've got a problem mm-hmm. and here's the problem believe that person yeah 
There is, and, and again, not taking away from the larger point, because I think we do agree, there is this conversation now around this idea of like people with power wielding quote unquote civility as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've seen it because, and I don't want to get into the details, but you know, recently I was very critical of a couple of local politicians and I got this blowback from a very small group. I think mostly it was positive, positively received, but I got this blowback of like, that, that wasn't really respectful or it's not what you said, it's how you said it. And there's stuff like that where I'm just kind of like, it's so subjective, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'll say, I'll say, did I lie anywhere? Did I bring up someone's family or their intrinsic traits? You know, did I demean them in that way? And the answer is no. Then I'm like, well, so what's the problem so, with what I said? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why can't I call that person a liar? When if they lie. Exactly. <laughs> that seems like a pretty fair thing to say. Which, again, I would probably do that to a politician, but I wouldn't do that to most other people, even if they were caught in a lie. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like, that person's a liar. But when you're in a public office, there's a different standard. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. When you're an elected official, mm-hmm. that that then changes the game for sure. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, you've got to expect criticism. That's the whole point, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, you, we've got to question authority. We've got to, like... Yeah, where's that punk rock Karis that oh, I know? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Believe me, I I enjoy challenging authority a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and also, and that being said, like, I know that for certain groups, you know, it, who haven't been listened to and have been stomped mm-hmm. on historically, if the only way to get listened to is by... Being really loud and maybe yeah. being violent and maybe causing disruption. Like, I get that, mm-hmm. obviously, um, because those people haven't been listened to yeah. for many, many years. So Absolutely. how do you get somebody's attention? How do you get the power's attention? Mm-hmm. You know, you that that's the only way, mm-hmm. it seems like. I For a lot of people. I think so, yeah. And I'm not including myself in that group, but I, I would— absolutely agree with you. And that's where I find it becomes really problematic when you tell groups to don't protest that way. Yeah. (laughs) You tell marginalized groups, marginalized people, don't protest that way. Yeah. Don't say it like that. (laughs) (laughs) I have feelings. I know I'm in power, but I still have feelings. Yeah. That's what I. Yeah. I I mean, I, I think I, I, when it's, sort of one-on-one or as, Mm -hmm. you know, just in general, keeping in mind the idea that, you know, depending on what your story is and depending on what your level of privilege is, Mm -hmm. you know, there are are ways that we can be inclusive and we can try and push everything forward in a positive way Mm -hmm. um, that are probably better than others. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's that's very fair. Did you ever hear the Bill Gates conspiracy about how he's got a bunch of patents and he's going to be vaccinating us with nano chips and all this stuff? I'm not a conspiracy theory no, person. I love conspiracy theories. Really? I love them. Yeah. They're so fascinating. I think well, they, that they, sounds very interesting. I think they say a lot <laughs> about our culture and I think they say a lot about us in yeah. terms of our anxieties and what, what we're 
worried about. So I love conspiracy theories, but that one was kind of the the funniest one to me. Yeah, that sounds like quite the theory. <laughs> what what was funny about it though is that there actually is this is where I go crazy. This is where I'm going to go crazy and people are gonna, I'm going to lose people here, but there actually is a Bill Gates conspiracy that happened. Which one? Like well, through the pandemic. Okay. So AstraZeneca, that vaccine, it was developed at Oxford University. And so Oxford University developed this vaccine and they announced to the world, like, this is going to be open source vaccine. So what it means is anyone can produce it. You don't have to pay royalties or licensing fees or anything like that, which is great for third world countries like third world, I don't like that term, developing countries like India or South Africa that might be able to produce vaccine, but can't really pay the big royalty fees, right? Mm -hmm. So they announced that. Sounds great. Literally two weeks later, they reverse their decision and they're going to, and they say, okay, we're actually going to partner with AstraZeneca. And what happened was that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, they actually give millions in grants to Oxford University for a lot of different research projects. And so what they did was they leveraged the millions that they were giving Oxford in these grants to partner with AstraZeneca in which the Gates had invested a ton of money. <laughs> okay. And so in effect, they were leveraging these millions of dollars of grants. And they did also say, and I, and I do want, I think this is important to add. They did say, okay, we're also going to buy up X amount of vaccines for certain countries, for developing countries. But what they were doing was they were spending or leveraging millions of dollars to make billions of dollars. And when you look at the net value of Bill and Melinda Gates, it went up by billions over the pandemic. Crazy. And so that's the conspiracy. That's the real shit, mm -hmm. right? Not this like nano chip stuff that we're all being tracked. Yeah. It's like, no, this is actually how power works. It's yeah. not, uh, they're not surveilling you. I mean, they they kind of are with our phones, but they're not. In terms of what the conspiracies say, they're not doing that. Yeah. But they are exercising power to make money. And there were a lot of people and, and companies that made a ton of money. Some of it totally on board. Some of it kind of... Kind of shady. Ex yeah, like ex exploitation, I would say. Yeah. Well, right? and I mean, how much, like, how much of that is going on at top levels of big businesses of all course. over the world? Yeah. Well, and it goes back to that idea where I was very sarcastic and said, like, those big companies taking tons of government money, but they're still making tons of money. <laughs> yeah. What, what, is, what is the government money for? Why do they need that? And the frustrating part is when it's, when it's like that, the government can always take it back. They can always tax it back or say, if you were a recipient of this program but showed profits pre- then yeah, pre-dividend profits. Then we we're need gonna it, call back. it back. Yeah. But they're not doing it. That's the stuff that people need to get pissed about. Yes. Yeah. That's the you know, challenge <laughs> not authority. Dr. Bonnie Henry. Yeah. Don't, don't get so bad at her. <laughs> that's fight the power right there. <laughs> Go after that. I was also thinking about how um Rod Baker, the guy that went to the Yukon. Yes. And then there was also Rod Phillips 
who is the Ontario finance minister who was in St. Bart's for three weeks while Ontario was on fire. Basically. Yes. Charming, charming decision. Rods. Yeah. Never trust a rod. <laughs> oh, poor rods. I know they're great rods. No, out I'm discriminating. There. I'm, I'm no rods. <laughs> Unless I meet a, unless I meet a good one. <laughs> uh, I worked with a really nice rod oh, okay. once. Yeah, well, yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll turn me <laughs> less <laughs> discriminatory. Turn you onto rods. Yeah, I I do remember that. Those were uh, those were some fun moments. So it's and my larger point for all of this is just like whether it's that Bill Gates stuff or the the rod stuff. It's just like I don't know. Sometimes I do get on the down about humanity of like. The larger we get, there's still those people who are already powerful, already privileged, that will just try to exploit everyone even more. Well, and now maybe we have a way of seeing that, though. Mm. Maybe we have, maybe we're broadening our ways of uncovering that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, you couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. You, you couldn't, it, it was, and still so much of it is very hidden, obviously. But it's starting to come to light. Mm -hmm. Pieces of it are starting to be visible to uh, a wider group of people to be able to look at and be like, huh, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) Right? Does that make a lot of sense? Yeah. Does that seem fair? Does that seem like like it's a good decision for... The majority of people? I don't think so. Plus, we all have a personal platform to tell those people in power to fuck off. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was going somewhere with that. You see what I did there? (laughs) Yeah. You just want to tell the people in power to go fuck themselves. And hey, I get it. I feel that. Karis, what do you want to say to the Van Color Ashram, the intersection of moms and political nerds and just the coolest people? Because only the coolest people listen to the show. What's your call to action? Share your truth. Who are you? Be honest with yourself if you can, if you're brave enough to. And hopefully we can create a community of support to be there, to hopefully physically lean on each other again. And I think the the braver we are and the more inclusive we are, the more we hold each other up instead of tearing each other down. Mm-hmm. Unless more, you're in power. Unless, right, unless you're like an evil person in power, <laughs> then yes, you need to be torn down. But for, for all the minions out there, let's hold each other up Let's be supportive. Let's listen. Mm-hmm. Let's believe each other's stories when they're told. Mm-hmm. And and let's let's try and love each other more. I like that. More sharing, more caring, Mo. I was gonna say on the topic <laughs> of more sharing, are you gonna do more episodes of the Karis Report? I feel like I want, I really, really want to. Honestly, I would have done more episodes of the Cares Report in the last few months if life just hadn't been so just day to day in terms of, you know, just busy, really, mm-hmm. um, trying to get through every day. And it doesn't really leave a lot of time to, 
to do the Karis report right now. Although, believe me, yeah, I I would love to again. So it's like reading poetry. That's the feeling I get when I listen Aww. to them. They're so lovely. Thank you. I hope you do more of them. Thank you. I hope to one day do more of them for sure. And you'll come back on the show, right? Of course I will. All right, perfect. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you. This has been great. People, did you miss her as much as I did? She is legit one of my favorites, a real gem of a human being, broadcaster extraordinaire. She is Karis Hogg, and I am Moamir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace. I'm Mo Amir, this is CKNW, and this is your Band Color Moment. Okay, smile, music. My name is Mo Amir, and I'm running for the mayor of Vancouver. Vancouver is the best. I love it, except it sucks now, thanks to City Hall. Gross. It's time for City Hall to work for the people, not the deep state ideologue fat cats who divide us with red tape and trash collection. That's why I need your support, well, your money, because the election is in 18 months, and I will solve the big problems with the shiny buzzwords and empty promises that you deserve. Because I have a savior complex, fueled by dirty talk from real estate tycoons, you know, the people who really run this city, like the yoga guy who shames women's bodies after becoming a billionaire off of them. Anywho, don't you hate taxes? Well, I have a proven track record of leadership and teamwork, for bold ideas with bold vision, for a bold boldness with a holistic vision that's bold and green, but not capital G green, to go back to the basics with forward-thinking innovation. So let's shake up City Hall, together, let's come together, unless you're poor, to do politics in a new, bold way, to get us back on the right track. Vancouver, 400 square foot rentals, million dollar NFT art installations. Doesn't that sound cool, Vancouver? I'm just like Brad West. You like him, right? I swear, I'm just like Brad West, but for Vancouver. So let's move forward for real change to the way things used to be. Neighborhoods for families, small businesses, Ryan Reynolds. So join me, Mo Amir, by giving me money for a Vancouver that works for everyone, but mostly my rich friends. This has been your Van Color Moment with Mo Amir on 980 CKNW. I'm Mo Amir and I approve this message.